When I think of all my faults and my failures When I consider all the times I've let God down I am humbled by the grace He has extended I'm amazed at the mercy I have found I could never earn His love on my own Yet every time I come before His throne I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb I stand redeemed before the great I Am When He looks at me He sees the nail-scarred hand That bought my liberty I stand redeemed Even at my best I am unworthy I have nothing precious I can give A broken life is all I have to offer And yet it's a priceless gift to Him. The bitter mark of sin will never fade away. But I can come before Him unashamed. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I Am. When He looks at me, He sees the nail-scarred hand that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I Am. When He looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hand that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. When He looks at me, He sees the nail-scarred hand that bought my liberty. I stand That's your testimony tonight. Do you stand redeemed? Is that your position in Christ? Are you his child? Man, that's an awesome song. I don't feel like you guys appreciated it. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Everyone seems pretty quiet tonight. Is that how it's going to be the rest of the service? No, help me out. Or I'll preach like I did Sunday for an hour per service. All right? <laughs> I know you were all thinking it. Great, he's up there again. Yeah, Brother Brad's giving me the amen. The amen. Of course, it'd be some staff member. Yeah. Heathens. <laughs> Turn your Bibles tonight, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And tonight, I'm going to bring a topic that, purely by bringing it up, in one sense, makes me nervous. But I have no doubt that it's what the Lord has for us this evening. 
So I'm going to bring it. Amen. It makes me nervous because the topic, the topic is about spiritual warfare. And any time you bring that up, you're opening yourself up for more attacks. Yes, and uh, the devil doesn't like it when we realize how organized he is. He doesn't like it when we recognize how strong he is. And he doesn't like it when we realize how strong our Savior is. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about this a little bit this evening. Ephesians chapter 6, a very familiar passage of Scripture. In verse number 10, it starts to go into the, our, our armor that we possess as Christians. And whether you want to admit it or not, this evening, from the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you entered into a spiritual battle. I think all of us are pretty well aware of that, that we are all in warfare. And it's something that we'll face every single day of our lives. The devil wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy God's word. And that's been his goal for centuries now. From the beginning of the world, even from before that, from the fall. He wanted the position that God held in his pride. He wanted to be lifted up. Personally, and I don't know if any of you feel this way, but or have maybe in the past felt this way, I feel like I've been more under attack in the last six months than I've been in years. And, um, and I don't know if it's just because of our society, how degraded it's become. I don't know if it's just because the Lord's trying to accomplish something in my own personal life. The devil doesn't like it. Or if it's because the Lord's trying to accomplish something through this church and the devil doesn't like it. But either way, I feel like the Lord, like I'm under attack and I especially feel it this evening. The thing about spiritual warfare and fighting in the battle, which is spiritual warfare, the closer you grow in your relationship with the Lord, the deeper you go in your walk with God, the more intense the uh, enemy's attack becomes. It's much like football, and you may not understand this illustration, but um, I'm sorry if you don't. I love football, and, uh, and it makes perfect sense to me. When you get down there to uh, the, the, red, the red zone, you get in that red zone, you get down to that goal line. The offense is no longer pushing for yards. They're pushing for inches because the defense gives it everything they've got. When you get down to that goal line and, you're, and you're, you're trying to get into that end zone, the defense is fighting back and it's, it's, it's neck and neck, it's nose to nose, it's, it's inch for inch, and, and they're, they've stepped up their intensity. I mean, you ever wondered how they can march down a field at 70 yards in and, and three plays and then all of a sudden they can't get into the end zone? Because the intensity is immediately stepped up. And when we develop a closer walk with God, when we are closer to a victory in our life, whenever the Lord is uh, about to do something great through us or through a ministry, you better believe it. As sure as a, a, defense, uh, a defensive lineman steps up his game, uh, the devil steps up his game. He wants to keep us from seeing that victory. He wants to keep us from, from having a, 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 a win. Now, on one side of the coin, it's like, ah, oh, it's so frustrating to... To finally get to a point where you're going to see a victory and then the devil just fights you so hard. But, but on the other side, it's exciting to know that something is going on in your life that the devil wants to stop. 
or that something's going on in your church that the devil wants to stop. Now, I don't know if you don't ever feel that way. Do you ever feel like you're so close to something and then it just hits you so hard? If not, it may be because there's nothing going on in your life. We've got to understand the closer we get to God, the fiercer the batter will become. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10, let's read some scripture here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This scripture says a lot of things. It says a lot of things about our warfare. It says a lot of things about our equipment. It says a lot of things about what we can have as far as victory. But if there is one underlining tone that I want to take from this little passage just to start us off tonight is that the war is on. The war is on. Because this passage wouldn't exist if the battle didn't exist. The, the armor wouldn't exist if the battle didn't exist. And so without the war, without the battle, this passage is not needed. Now, there are four types of people who will battle in spiritual warfare. First, there's the people who are not aware that spiritual warfare is even going on. They're just totally oblivious to the fact that they are fighting a supernatural force. Then there's the people who are suspicious, you know, they kind of think that maybe something. But they're not really committed to any cause and they're just not quite sure if it even really exists. Then there's people who understand and know that a war is on, but they're not really sure what side they're on. There's the kind of person who is kind of torn in between and, and they, they know the, the enemy's attack. You know what the enemy's attack is. But every time you face a battle, you come out of that battle in defeat. You come out of that battle discouraged. You come out of that battle dejected and, and, and just with a, a, a spirit of, of total defeat in your life. You're not sure which side to be on because it seems like you can never get the Lord's help or you can never have the victory. And finally, there are those people who know that there's a war is on. And they're committed to the cause. And they know who is, uh, who is going to bring the victory. Uh, they know who's already brought the victory. No, they know that victory is in Jesus Christ and, and that the battle's already been won. And praise the Lord, I hope that those of you that are in this room this evening are that group of people. You know that the battle's already been won. Our goal as Christians is not to win a battle over Satan. Our goal as Christians is to remind the devil that he's already lost, Amen. that we already have the victory. Yes, 
But far too often, that's not really the attitude that we have as believers. More often than not, we're person number three. A little bit wavering. A little bit unsure. Not really seeing victories the way that we would like to. Before we get started tonight, I want us to understand that spiritual warfare is very, 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 very real. It is a thing that exists, and whether you acknowledge it or not, it exists. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it said there, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Man, that de- oh, he's sneaky. He's got a plan. He knows how to go about it just to trip you up the right way. Spiritual warfare is real. And we need to understand that this evening. Evening. We also need to understand that a very real enemy in our life is Satan and his demonic forces. Tells us in verse number 12 right there, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We don't face a human enemy. And I, I know that this is elementary. I know that this is basic, but did you wake up this morning thinking that you were in a battle today? Did you wake up this morning with the attitude of warfare? Because I'll be honest with you this morning, it wasn't the first thing that crossed my mind and I was preaching a message about it tonight. And I think far too often we view humanity more as an enemy than we do Satan. It may be a spouse even. A neighbor, an irritating boss that's viewed as the enemy, that's viewed as a source of frustration and anxiety. If you could just get rid of that, you'd be okay. Hopefully not your spouse. (laughs) You're in trouble there. Sometimes it's the government, politicians, drug dealers, murderers, and violent criminals. They're viewed as the enemy. But although some of these may be used as tools in the devil's hands, they are not the devil. They are simply a weapon. And and far too often we spend all of our time fighting against weapons rather than the enemy. It's the principle of taking a gun away from a murderer and saying he won't murder anymore. No, the murderer will find a knife. And if you take the knife away, the murderer will find a club. If you take a club away, the murderer will use a car. Or his hands. Why? Because that's who the enemy is. The enemy is the murderer, not the weapon. How often do we fight against weapons in our spiritual warfare rather than the enemy? The issue going on right now with Target. The transgender bathrooms. is simply a weapon. It is not the enemy. It is a tool that he is using to attack. And we can't simply... Sit back and say, well, I boycotted Target, now I'm fighting the spiritual warfare. No, you may have disabled a weapon in his arsenal, but there is still a battle to be fought. And it's just as serious as it was a moment ago. I want us to understand tonight that the spiritual warfare is real. The spiritual warfare is, is, uh, is against the devil. 
and his demonic forces. And this spiritual warfare is not man-made. This is not man-made. The weapon, I'm sorry, the weapons of our spiritual warfare are not man-made. We're in a spiritual battle, and we're facing demonic forces, but our weapons are not man-made. And the, ba- the way that we'll fight this battle is with a spiritual warfare. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it tells us, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. I don't know if you would agree with me or not. I think the majority of you would. But it's time that we start taking more territory back from the devil. It's time that we stop playing a defensive game and play an offensive game. But we'll not do it with a a man-made program, is what I'm getting at. We'll not be able to accomplish it in our strength. We'll not be able to accomplish it through a a, a man-made device. The only way that we'll accomplish this is through prayer, through fasting, through praise, through worship, through the Word of God. These are our tools. But how often are they neglected? Because we can stand and cheer and say, as, as, long as, as long as the Lord's moving forward, I'm moving forward with Him. As long as He's taking ground, I'm taking ground with Him. You know, it's easy to stand and say those things, but the Lord has given us tools to fight these battles and, and ways to see the victory, but they're so often neglected. And even if they're not neglected totally, they're only utilized in a very shall I say, performance-like way. You ever watched fencing before? Guys put on these shields, goofy outfits. You get these real flimsy swords. And they prance around. All right? They're putting on, they're playing war. They're playing war. No chance of real harm necessarily. Those flimsy swords aren't going to do much in a real battle. The armor they're wearing isn't going to do much in a real battle. But they're putting on a good show. And people sit back and say, wow, look at that. And that's a lot of times the kind of spiritual warfare we practice as Christians. Put on a real good show and get a flimsy sword out. And we walk around like we're ready and we're prepared for battle. But we're not exercising the spiritual tools that we have for this warfare. So we're going to identify a couple things tonight about spiritual warfare. Father, I pray that you'd be with this message. Lord, I know that the devil doesn't want these things to be said, but Lord, I know that we need them. Father, I pray that you would help us to be challenged. Lord, that you would help us to be stirred. And whether we're sitting back in the warfare whether we're not fighting at all or whether we're in the trenches, Lord, I pray that every single one in this room tonight would come out encouraged to do more, to fight harder. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be discouraged through the knowledge of the spiritual warfare we're in, but that we'd be encouraged because of the promise we have of victory. Lord, protect me. Guide my lips. Only allow me to say what you'd have me to say. In Jesus' name, I ask it. Amen. Tonight, I first of all want you to acknowledge with me the believer's adversary in spiritual warfare. 
the believer's adversary in spiritual warfare. Now, we've already talked about it. We've acknowledged that the devil and his minions are the ones who are on the other side of the fence. They're the ones who are fighting against us. They're on the other side of the line. But if you look with me in Ephesians chapter 11, uh, 6, verse 11 and 12 again, simply want to reiterate. It says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Who are we standing against? The devil. All right, so verse number 11, we have one person identified, the devil. Verse number 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil is our enemy, and I think uh, we are all well aware of that tonight. In the, in the scriptures, the devil, Satan, goes by many names. Lucifer, Beelzebub, Belial, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the accuser of the brethren, the adversary, the great deceiver, the dragon, the old serpent, the father of lies, the tempter, Leviathan. There's all kinds of names for the devil in the scriptures, but what we must understand, under, for, in order for us to understand that our adversary is Satan, we must understand that he was not always Satan, that he was the angel of light named Lucifer. We must understand his origin. He was a beautiful, powerful creature. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 17, it says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, that thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. We know that Lucifer lost his position in heaven because of his pride. Again, I understand that this is elementary, but I want you to follow along with me here. He lost his position in heaven because of his pride. He fell to earth. If you were to read through scriptures, and we won't take the time this evening to look at it, you see that, uh, that Lucifer was a, the greatest of all of God's heavenly creatures. But I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 14 with me. And we'll read one little passage about his fall. And we'll note one important truth. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse number 12. Isaiah 14 verse number 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou, how art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Here we see a, a brief description of Lucifer's fall from heaven, or should I say Lucifer's kick from heaven. It wasn't by choice he was sent away. But one thing I would have you to notice, and I don't know if you've ever noticed it before, but in my study I made note of it, that Lucifer was kicked from heaven, but you know what never happened to Lucifer? He never lost his beauty. He never lost his wisdom. He never lost his powers. He never lost his position as the most magnificent of all God's heavenly creatures. Everything that he had as position in heaven, he still maintains today. And in order for us to understand the adversary that we face as Satan, as Lucifer, we must understand that he still possesses that incredible, immense power that he was created with. That's right. And he is out to destroy people with it. That's his only purpose, that's his only goal, 
That's all he is seeking to do. From the very moment he was thrown from heaven, just listen, if you would, Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, speaking back to the fall, it says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, speaking how that when the devil fell, he took a third of the angels with him and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon, the devil, stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Uh, We know that the devil's goal and always has been and right from the beginning of his fall was to destroy Christianity, was to destroy Jesus Christ. There he stood as Mary was ready to deliver her child and his main goal and focus was how can I destroy this Savior? And his intensity and his desire has not changed all these years later. For he still wishes to destroy my life, your life. He still wishes to destroy the cause of Christ. To make it null and void. We know that's impossible for him. But that's his goal. So tonight we acknowledge our adversary in this spiritual warfare is Satan. But also, I want us to acknowledge that there is something called or something such as an organized demonic force. Because we saw there in verse number 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Like I said, I don't know how many angels fell with Satan, but I know that many did. And you read that passage of Scripture, and I'll tell you what it says to me. I don't know what it means to you, but it it says to me in verse number 12 that there is a force that is organized, that is established, that is structured, and it's here on this earth. Principalities and powers, they're here on this earth. And in a very organized and meticulous way, they are seeking to destroy. And I believe that the devil uses these as tools in our politics and in our governments. In our media, our entertainment, music. The believer's adversary. The first thing I want you to acknowledge this evening, the believer's adversary in spiritual warfare is Satan and the the organized demonic forces of hell. That's why we're given the challenge in 1 Peter uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 8. That's why we're told to be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. We have an adversary. We need to be alert to it. I don't think that that's any truth or ground-shattering principle that none of us haven't heard before. But do we view it as such? As our adversary you know i can think through my life and i don't think i've ever really had a human enemy personal human enemy and i think in a way that keeps me from relating some of you may have had some real personal human enemies in your life and you can understand to a certain extent maybe a little better than even i can How desperate an enemy can become. How dirty an enemy will stoop. How low they'll stoop to make something happen. Do you view the devil as your enemy? 
as an ad- adversary trying to destroy, mess up, and dest- ruin your life, your family, your children, this church, the gospel of Christ. We have an adversary. Secondly, this evening, though, I want us to acknowledge the believer's arena in spiritual warfare. The believer's adversary is Satan and demonic forces, but the, the believer's arena in spiritual warfare, where do these battles take place? First of all, I would introduce the thought to you this evening that spiritual battles occur in our minds. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says, But I fear, lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The truth of this verse is what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth is as you're on your road in your Christian life, the simplicity of your faith in Christ is talking about how you're seeking to be more like Christ. He's saying, I'm worried about you that you're beguiled in your mind just as Eve was beguiled. Even though Eve walked with her husband and walked with the Lord in the cool of the day, the same way that you do. We have to understand that the arena of spiritual warfare, one of the arenas of spiritual warfare in our lives is our minds. Satan will place ideas there that you will think are your own. We don't want to admit to that. (laughs) That that thought we just had was probably because of the devil. But it is. I don't believe for one moment, and, you, and, and I could be wrong about this. I don't see any evidence to the contrary of my belief in Scripture. I don't believe for one moment that Judas walked up in a, and in his mind said, You know what, devil? Pfft, life's pretty boring right now. I'd like to spice things up. Why don't you give me a task? All right, Judas, why don't you go ahead and betray Jesus Christ? You think that's how it went down for Judas? Do you think that Judas really felt like he was being used as a tool in the hand of the devil? I don't think for a moment he did. And I think far too often we're manipulated in our minds the same way that Judas was manipulated in his life to bring hurt to the cause of Christ. You may not want to admit it, but the evidence is definitely there. Satan will place ideas in your mind and make you think they're your ideas. Satan's ideas often sound reasonable. They do. They make sense. He doesn't throw anything at you that's obtuse. He doesn't throw stuff at you that is crazy. He throws things at you that make sense. David, in the scripture, he was... Told not to number the people, but the devil got in his mind and said, oh, why don't you go ahead and do this? And here's some good reasons to do it. And you know what the devil did? He numbered the people, going exactly contrary to God's instruction. Jesus being tempted in the wilderness with bread. You haven't eaten for 40 days, Jesus. Go ahead and turn these stones to bread so that you can eat. Reasonable, isn't it? Makes sense. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. Go ahead and turn. But what was the devil trying to do? He was trying to tempt. He was trying to distract. He was trying to destroy. Spiritual warfare was taking place right there between the devil and Jesus Christ. Jesus, jump off the tabernacle. And surely your angels will swoop down from heaven and save you. And everybody will know that you're the Messiah. They'll see it and they'll know. You know, sometimes we, at least I do, maybe you don't. Jesus is tempted, tempted in the wilderness. 
And we picture this whole dialogue as taking place in the wilderness. But he brought him to the temple, to the tabernacle, to the pillar of the tabernacle. He brought him there. Where is the tabernacle? It's the middle of all the people. What would have taken place if Jesus jumped off that tabernacle and the angel swept down from heaven? The people would have believed that he was the Messiah, right? That's what the devil said. It's true. It's very reasonable. But you know what else would have taken place? It makes, you know why this makes so much sense? Jesus wouldn't have had to go on through the cross. He would have never had to experience that. Doesn't it make sense? Jesus, just jump off this. People will see it and they'll believe and you'll never have to go through the cross. See, the devil will put these ideas in our minds that they'll sound so reasonable. Reasonable. And it, these reasonable ideas are often our downfall. We could go on and on this story with Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus, bow down and worship me and I'll give you half the kingdom. Again, another temptation keeping him from the cross. You'll never have to experience it. You'll never have to experience it. Could Jesus have fallen just as sure as the devil did? Well, I mean, he was man. Tempted in all points as man. He could have fallen on one sense if he were not God in the other Amen. sense. Satan's ideas often sound reasonable. Satan's ideas often appeal to your God-given desires. These mind games that the devil plays with you, he places these ideas in your head, and these ideas, he'll make, them, he'll make you think you're, they're your own. He'll make, you, uh, he'll make them sound reasonable. He'll, he'll also make these ideas appeal to your God-given desires. What did Eve do when she saw the fruit? It was pleasant to the eyes and desired for food. Are those not God-given desires? Didn't God give us the desire and the ability to discern what beauty is with our eyes? Didn't he place within us a desire for hunger to eat? Sure he did. You know what the devil did? He used those desires, those God-given desires, against Eve. Satan's ideas will often appeal to your God-given desires. Satan's ideas are often centered on selfish thoughts. If you're the kind of person that's constantly dwelling on your own selfish problems, what makes you happy? That, I mean, that's the whole, the whole thing with do what makes you happy. How, how often do we hear that? People say, oh, I'm just going to do me right now. I just need to take a break from everything and do me. I'm gonna do, whatever makes you happy, you need to find that thing and do it. Don't let anybody run you over. Don't let anybody push you over. Don't let anybody abuse you. Defend yourself. Fight back. And you see, all of these things, they sound good, but they're all selfish. Because the instructions given to Christians are, has nothing to do with fighting back. It has nothing to do with making yourself happy. It has nothing to do with finding what gives you joy in life. We have a special set of instructions, a special set of orders that has nothing to do with what makes us happy. And when we begin to think selfish thoughts, I want you to be aware right now that that's a spiritual arena of warfare. Those ideas the devil is placing in your mind, those selfish thoughts is the way he wants to get at you. You become obsessed with money. You become obsessed with goods. You become obsessed with happiness. You're thinking selfishly. I believe to one extent, that's why he tells us in verse number 17 to take the helmet of salvation. Because we need to get our mind under control. 
We need to get Christ in there. We need to make, make sure that He rules and reigns, bringing into subjection every thought. Bring it into captivity. Not let the devil have free reign. Let him play, place those ideas. But I want to make sure tonight that we are very, very alert because I have seen and I have experienced the devil place thoughts in my mind and I have seen it place, I've seen him place thoughts in other people's minds, attack through the mind. And the people that I looked up to the most, the people I had the most respect for, I've seen them fall. Good people. People with good ideas and good standards and good intentions. In a moment's notice, gone. Why? Because the devil got in their heads. Got in their minds. Think about Peter. The apostle Peter was a good man. He desired above everything else to serve the Lord. He wanted, he wanted to help. and def- But where, where do we see? What happens to Peter? The Lord has to turn around and rebuke him. Calling out to who? Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because the devil had gotten into Peter's mind and he thought he needed to defend. A selfish move. That wasn't going to fly with a sacrificial savior. The arena of our warfare is in our mind. The arena of our warfare is in our finances. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Satan is very, very, very incredibly effective in limiting God's work by fooling God's people into excessive debt, undisciplined spending, immediate gratification, impulse purchasing. It goes on and on and on. But the devil's in the finances. And it's an arena of attack. I know everyone wants to think that we've got it all under control. But it's amazing. I went to college with some guys who were called to preach. Called to missions. Called to evangelism. They started working these jobs. Making forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year. $70,000 a year. $80,000 a year. Before you know it, they're not called anymore. We can look at them and point it out pretty clearly because they had given a testimony of being called and then had strayed away. But how often do we face those same type of attacks and don't identify it in ourselves by letting our finances be controlled by our flesh? Not understanding the purpose for which we have been given them. Spiritual battles will occur in your finances. Spiritual battles will occur in your church. I believe that the church is one of Satan's primary targets. Not any church, though. Because there are plenty of churches out there I believe he's just okay with. Isn't there? (laughs) Yeah, I think there are. Yeah. But he's looking for the spirit-filled church. The Bible-believing church. The soul-winning church. The churches that is on fire for God. There's all kinds of examples. I'm going to have to skip through some of this stuff. All through Scripture of the Satan attacking the church. Ananias and Sapphira, Paul and Barnabas, the church at Corinth, Thessalonica and Galatians. You, you could look through and find example after example. But the, the devil's goal and primary objective, I believe, is to destroy the church. You know how he does it? Through division. Through distraction. 
through tempting us with worldly methods of doing things. Bring the music in. Bring the entertainment in. Bring the dress in. Bring the lifestyle in. Yeah. Persecution. Discourage people right out of serving the Lord. Spiritual warfare occurs in the church. Remember, we're talking about the arena. The mind, finances, the church. How about human government? When government legitimizes and legalizes abortion, gambling, pornography, same-sex marriage, at the same time they take prayer out, public places, the Bible out of public places, the ability to preach the gospel from public places. When a government does these things, you better believe it. They're, they're a tool in the devil's hands. We may not have been founded as a tool in the devil's hand, but our country fast is turning or is turned as into a tool in the devil's hand. It's very clear even in Scripture that the Antichrist himself will be a political leader. I believe that we as Christians have a responsibility to resist evil in government. We have a responsibility to pray and to vote, to speak up and to run against evil dig- dignitaries. We have that responsibility. But we need to understand that that is a place of warfare. The devil wants to use it. So we see these different arenas. There's more, but for sake of time, we see the mind, family, finances, church, government. The arena of spiritual warfare. But tonight, finally, I want to close with this. I'm going to close with the believer's authority in spiritual warfare. The believer's authority. We've already identified that we have an adversary. We've identified some arenas that we're attacked in. But tonight, there is good news. And as I've hinted to all evening, we already do have the victory. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. And just listen, because I'm going to fly through some of these scriptures. But I want to show very evidently how we have the victory. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Stand. You have the ability. We have the ability to stand against the wiles of the devil. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The 70 returned again, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, uh, 17, again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Romans chapter 16, verse 20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. This This is Paul giving an exhortation to the church of Rome. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Listen, friend, tonight Satan may be able to oppress you, but he cannot possess you. Satan may be able to tempt you, but he cannot control you. Satan may be able to attack you, but he cannot defeat you. But far too often we don't view it that way. 
We live defeated. We live depressed. We live uh, in, a, in a mood of, uh, of fear. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, of a sound mind. We are in a spiritual warfare, but we have an authority in this spiritual warfare that supersedes any authority that's ever been created or has ever been in this world in any form of existence. They may not excite you at all. And I'm easily excitable. Either way, it excites me. Because I have an authority, because I understand my weakness. Understand my inability. We have authority over the enemy. We have authority because of our position in Christ. Our position in Christ. What is your position in Christ tonight? What's your position? Do we even know? What's what's our position? We hold a position, Brother Jeffries. What position do we hold? I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. We are sons and daughters. We are God's kids. I have the same position that Jesus Christ has. All the rights, privileges therein to pertaining. Because of my position in Christ, I have a shared authority that Jesus Christ has. I mean, come on. Amen? Yeah? Some of you are sleeping on me. No, literally, you're sleeping. If you see somebody sleeping, wake them up. That just goes to show. Goes to show our understanding of spiritual warfare. When your mind can wander through a whole service, you don't understand that your enemy is seeking to destroy you. When you can't focus in on what the preacher's saying, you don't understand that the devil's out for you. When you neglect your walk with God, you, you, don't, you don't care. Go ahead and tell me you do. And you know what I'll say? Lie. Why will I say that? Because the Word of God says it. We have authority because of our position in Christ. Even Job, when he was attacked, could not be attacked without God's permission. What a wonderful knowledge that I have authority in this spiritual warfare because of my position in Christ. Not only because of my position, but because of my possession of Christ. I already said earlier that you can be oppressed, but you cannot be possessed. Why can't you be possessed? Because of who you possess. Because of the Christ that dwells in you, nobody else can take that space. Man, again, I guess I don't know. You're not in Christ. He's in you. He's in you. Enough with the fear. Enough with the scared. Enough with the defeat. Enough with the the, the apathetic Christian fighting that we do today. I have Christ in me. I don't need to live that way. 
I don't have to live dejected. I don't have to lock myself up in the house. My wife had it, and I had a conversation. I believe you, you were pregnant with um, Ellie. She doesn't know what I'm talking about. But um, we had a conversation, we were, and, and something had just happened in the world, and, and she was talking about it, and she was just expressing some fears about children and the day and time we live, bringing them into the world. And I know she was just expressing her fears, and we had a little conversation about it and talked about, oh, we don't need to worry about that. We don't need to worry about it, not because I'm assistant pastor to church and because we've graduated from a Bible college. That's not why we don't need to worry about it. We don't need to not worry about it because we go to church and we read our Bibles every day. I don't need to worry about it because of the Christ that dwells in me. I understand that he's in control. Certainly the devil can attack you, he can tempt you, he can deceive you, he can trick you, he can discourage you, he can oppress you, but the devil cannot defeat you because of the Christ that dwells in you. Greater is he... Now listen, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Right? But does that mean that I can't see defeat? I can personally see defeats in my life because I don't let him have the victory. I try to bring the victory. And I have no authority in myself. Steve Cavanaugh possesses no authority for spiritual warfare. The only authority that I possess is the fact that Jesus Christ is in me. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Some of you this evening are under attack from Satan. You know it. I want to challenge you to take refuge in Jesus Christ. Some of you are going through spiritual warfare. Let him be the one that's in control. Some of your homes are under attack from Satan. Your children are under attack from Satan. This church is under attack from Satan. Will you place your family, your children, your home, yourself, will you place yourself in his arms and his control? Will you let him work through you? Will you let the greater that is in you come out? Will you let the greater that is in you fight your battles? Are you going to keep trying to fight them on your own? We're in a spiritual warfare. It's every single day of our lives. We've identified our adversary. We've identified some arenas. We've identified the authority that we have in this spiritual warfare. Let's turn to him. Let's let him be the one that rules and reigns. In closing this evening, I just want to remind us of one thing. How do we quench the Holy Spirit of God in our lives? How do we do it? Somebody. What, what has to be in our life? How do we make him, his power null and void? The Bible says we can bring it in effect. Just holler it out. I can't hear. Sin. Sin. It's that simple. Three-letter word, Sin. Is there some of that floating around inside of you? Because we can talk about spiritual warfare and we can identify the adversary and identify the arenas and identify the authority. But if we let sin have dominion 
in our lives, we can't fight back a winning battle. So, tonight, we've identified some things, but finally, before we do anything with what we've learned, we need to identify if there's something in our lives that will keep the Holy Spirit, that power that it dwells within us, from giving us the victory. So we're going to stand this evening, if you would. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word.